Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, since February, we've been talking about love. And this summer we're talking about seeing and showing Christ. And the question is, how do these two themes relate to each other? Because for me, the greatest of these is love is still being written as a banner over this message and the ones that follow. And you know the answer to that question. You can answer it very easily. What does love have to do with seeing and showing Christ. And the answer is, if we love each other, if we love our enemies, if we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, if we love like last week with heartfelt, tender family affection, if we love those who do things we don't like, who make choices we don't like, who act in ways we disapprove of, if we love them, the world will see Jesus. The world will see Christ if we do that. They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul put it this way. We always carry about in our body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our body. I think what that means is, I always deny myself, reckon myself dead, take on whatever sufferings obedience requires, so that in my body, Paul says, people might see the way Jesus lived on the Calvary Road walking toward the cross. And in seeing in my dying Jesus, they will behold his life of love. And therefore, seeing and showing Christ are all bound up with loving each other. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds, your love, and give glory to the Father and to Jesus. If you want to show Christ this summer, if you want Him to see, if you want people to see Him in you, then you know the agenda. The agenda is love. Love for hard-to-love people. Love that comes from the heart and not just formally. That makes a great impact. My son Benjamin called from Georgia on Thursday night 
because of love. He rides a motorcycle 40 miles one way to work. And uh, it's been 90, 90 degrees plus in Georgia this past week. And he tooled into town with his big 1,500 cubic centimeter motorcycle and pulls up beside a church at a stop sign and there's Christians swarming everywhere with big bright t-shirts on and free coke for everybody. And the guy walks up to him and says, can you, can you manage one? He said, I'll manage one. I'll manage one. And he got on the phone that night and that act of love was in Minneapolis in the name of Jesus within six hours. Strengthening my faith and showing me Jesus 1,100 miles away. If you want to show Jesus this summer, love somebody. Practically. Stretch out your heart. Open your face and your heart wide to people because it's not a normal thing to do in our society. Summer is for seeing and showing Christ. Winter in Minnesota is you, you pull it up over your head, you run from igloo to igloo, you don't care who you pass on the street, it is not an ideal witness time. So God takes it away for a month or two in Minnesota, and He does it very specifically so that you can be outside, so that you can linger, you watch your neighbor working over there, and you work over there, and you pray. Lord, let it happen. Let a relationship happen here for Christ's sake and for love's sake and for natural neighborliness sake. Do that. Summer is for seeing and showing Christ. So I've asked, what is God saying in the summer? God created the summer. God is speaking. And according to Psalm 19, you know what he's saying. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament, that big dome over top, that big blue dome, is declaring his handiwork. He made it all. So as the sun rises out there in a new angle for another, what, ten days before it starts going back down the horizon, and as the moon is out in its new place, and as constellations are a little different at night when you look up into the stars, and as leaves unbelievably come out of those hard, ice-cold, dead, brown branches into soft, little, leafy, green appendages, you wonder, where in the world and how did that ever happen? And as tulips push up, out of the ground and this snow buried grass becomes like a carpet that just beckons you to lie down on it and as unfrozen lakes start to mirror the clouds and the skies and as even I believe mosquitoes survive seven months of frozen lakes somehow in God's providence and crazy sovereignty and mice mice know to leave the house and ants know to come into the house. It is all God for those who have eyes to see those and a hundred ways more. God is speaking to the Twin Cities and saying, 
Summer is for showing Christ and summer is for seeing Christ. And I just want us all summer long not to turn down the volume of praise and worship and piety and devotion and witness, but to turn it back up again. God turns it up in the summertime. God turns it up. He turns up the sun. He makes the day longer. He makes the sky different. He makes the lake beautiful. He beckons with the grass. God turns up glory in the summertime. Not that there's no glory in the winter, but we love the summer. We love what he does in the summer. So let's join God and Christ this summer. By this will all men know that you are his disciples if you love one another. It is a rare commodity. Barnabas and I on Saturday, yesterday, went for our lunch date to Subway. And uh, we walked out of Subway and there at either ends of the parking lot were two guys here, younger, two guys here, older, outdoing each other in loud, mean, obscene put downs. Sounded real angry. That's a real familiar sound in this city. Last thing it looked like was love. Last thing it looked like was love. And I thought, God, if just one of those guys, by your reviving power, the Holy Spirit falling on this city, if one of those guys saw Jesus and was transformed into a loving person, and on the next Saturday, walked back into that touche back and forth, and instead of adding to the endless F-words that can come out of a person's mouth these days, most of which I don't even understand, he walked across the parking lot and said, Look, I'm done with it. Something's happened. It's new. I don't want to put you down anymore. I'm tired of it. In fact, I'm sorry. And I want your forgiveness. I want us to have a camaraderie. I want us to make something beautiful in this city. I want us to do something together. We've got enough of this stuff. And I want you to know what's happened. I want you to know who it is. I saw him. I saw him in the gospel. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, he might get crucified for that, but who knows what else might happen. A movement. Can you pray that bigger prayer this summer? That a movement can happen like that among young toughs in this city and among nice, squeaky, clean, middle class people in this city who do their sin a different way. Can you pray that way? Believe and lay hold and come to some prayer meetings and some Sunday night meetings and say, God, do it. Give us such power that it just radiates out from this place and transforms the city. Now, the point of our text this morning is very crucial and central to seeing and showing Christ. We are at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to focus on verse 18. And the main point of verse 18 is all important for what we're doing this morning, what we're doing tonight. And the main point is this. To show him, you need to see him. Well, let me add a phrase. To show, to show him by being like him, you need to see him. You need to see him for who he is. Suppose last week, and this happened for several, I know, by virtue of their testimony. Suppose God came last week 
during the service, as I was talking about tender affections and not being able to do it on our own, but needing the, the Holy Spirit, suppose you were filled with a longing that you become a new kind of person and that there's not so much tension and harshness at home, but a lot more warmth and tenderness and expressed feelings. And that that be the case in your Sunday school class and that be the case in people you have a hard time getting along with. Suppose that fell on you and you wanted that last Sunday. What would you do? What would you do? Where would you turn? That's what this text is about. You would turn to Jesus and by looking at Jesus, the spirit would change you. Let me read it. Let's read verse 18. We all with unveiled face beholding substitute seeing. Seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We don't see it perfectly. We, we see through a glass dimly. It's like a mirror. It's a reflection. We, we will see Jesus face to face when he comes. But now we see him. We see him as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, the main point of this verse, I think, is very clear. Namely, all Christians in this room are being changed little by little from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And that comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Not all at once, but by degrees. We become like him. We grow in our capacity to show him. And the second half of the main point is this. It happens by looking to Jesus. How are you being transformed? According to this verse, if you're not satisfied with the with the rate of progress in your life of coming into the likeness of Jesus, this text says Look more at the glory of Jesus. Look more at the glory of Jesus. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being changed, are being transformed. How are you being transformed? By beholding Christ. Beholding Christ is the means. About 25 years ago, let's see, 24 years ago. I graduated from seminary, Fuller Seminary. And for about 10 years thereafter, during my graduate school days and when I taught over at Bethel, there was a standing joke and laughter as people came into my classes or who sat in the discussion group and knew Dan Fuller at Fuller Seminary. They'd come up to me afterwards and they'd say, I can't believe all the mannerisms of Dan Fuller that you have. I can't believe the tone of voice. I can't believe the Socratic way you go about it. I can't believe how like Dan Fuller you look, the way you hang your head, the way you move your arms. And that was no accident. I love Dan Fuller. I took every course possible from Dan Fuller. I spent two hours after class, day after day with Dan Fuller. I did everything I could do to absorb everything he ever knew in his head from Dan Fuller. 
because I saw in him an incredible wisdom, an incredible insight into Scripture. And as I looked to Dan Fuller and as I spent time with Dan Fuller, my lips started to move like Dan Fuller. My, my forehead started to move like Dan Fuller. My hands started to move. It happened to Tom Steller, too. I don't think he was quite as infected as I was because... And it happened to, to Scott Haithman, and it happened to others. You, we just laugh at each other. There's Dan Fuller. Now, if you spend that much time with Jesus, if you look at him every day, if you embrace him, if you spend time with him, if you listen to him, if you focus on him in the Gospels morning and night, you will start to move like Jesus. You start to think like Jesus. You start to feel with Jesus. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, you are being transformed into his likeness. Summer is for seeing, beholding, and for sowing by becoming like Christ. That's the main point of this text. Now, let me talk with you just a few minutes about the context, because what I saw here is so important for that experience. Understanding the spiritual dynamics of being changed into a person more like Jesus tomorrow than you were yesterday. If that comes to us from outside as a pressure, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, it feels like slavery. It feels like bondage. Oh, what a weight. Good night. He was perfect. Now, this context has a lot to say about that bondage and that sense of slavery that we feel when we are being pressed upon from outside to do what we don't have the inside to do. Look at verse 13. It, it talks about Moses connecting with God on Mount Sinai and in the tent. And what happened back there was that Moses, remember, his face began to shine when he came back to the people. As he looked to God, he took on some of God's glory and it reflected in his face. And as he came back, the people saw it and Moses saw them see it. And to keep them from seeing the end of it, he put a veil on his face, according to that verse. And then Paul begins to think about that and interpret that. And he says in verse 14 that what... That represents is that the people of Israel's minds became hardened. They didn't really understand what the glory was about and how the Sinaitic, the glory of Mount Sinai, was a fading glory pointing to some other glory. They didn't get that. There was a veil. And that veil he now describes as what still is there between their minds and the reading of the Old Testament, the reading of the Old Covenant. It says in verse 14, until this very day at the reading of the covenant, the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. In other words, the true meaning of the law is hidden. There's a veil and their minds are darkened and this veil exists. And when they hear the law, they hear it wrongly. And it gets distorted and it has a wrong impact upon them. Now, what, what is that? What's the mistake that's made? The mistake that's made is legalism. 
They hear the law coming from Mount Sinai. They hear the commandments of God. They hear the thou shalt. And through this veil, it gets filtered out as burden. Oh, how are we going to do that? We got to, you got two choices. You can either throw it off and rebel, or you can become a legalist. If you become a rebel and say, I can't, and I don't want to hear it anymore, I don't want you to tell me what to do with my life. You become a slave of your own deceitful passions. You become the center of your universe. If you say, okay, all right, you're God, and uh, you have the authority to command me, and I do not have the internal resources to want what you command me, therefore I will, as much as lies within me, screw up my moral courage and externally do all I can do to measure up to what you are saying. That's legalism. You've got those two choices, unless, unless verse 17 happens. You turn to the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, what is liberty? What does it mean? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord moves into your life, liberty happens. Not bondage anymore, not slavery to the law, but liberty. But how? How does that happen? You turn to the Lord, the Lord removes the veil which was causing you to distort the law into a burden that crushed you down and made you a legalist or a rebel. And the Holy Spirit sweeps in because the Spirit moves wherever you're looking to the Lord, which is why we're meeting tonight. Wherever you look to the Lord, the Spirit moves in because He loves to glorify Jesus. And what He does on the inside is create a want-to on the, that agrees with the have-to in the law. And that's liberty. Bondage is a have-to that corresponds with no want to in my life. That's bondage. If you want to make me a slave, take away every desire that I have for you to do, to do what you want me to do and then start telling me things to do. And use your power to make me do them. And I will be a slave the rest of my life. Now that's what happens under the old covenant. The new covenant is all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the moving of the Holy Spirit into the lives of slaves. And they look away from that cloudy veil that's distorting that law and making them feel so helpless and wanting to either measure up to it or run away from it. And they turn over to Jesus crucified to take away all their sins. And the Holy Spirit flows into their lives and begets a new person. It's called new birth. And as a new person, from glory to glory, little by little, these desires, these drives, these longings, these yearnings that make us who we are become conformed to Jesus. And we are free to do what we want to do. When God says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, we're free because the Holy Spirit is moving in us by his fruit. To awaken that kind of love so that we want to do what he says to do. And therefore, there's harmony and it's freedom. Or if he says, love your enemy 
And the Spirit is moving in our lives and we say, in myself I can't, Lord. But I look to Jesus and I will be transformed by Jesus. And the Spirit moves at that moment and starts to quicken and awaken the desire to do what God calls us to do. And when you desire to do what God calls you to do, there is liberty. That's what verse 17 means. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so the key is looking to Jesus. Wherever you look to Jesus, as in a mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord, the Holy Spirit does His work. You know what the work of the Holy Spirit is? Primarily, according to John 14, the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And therefore, if you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you must direct the focus of your mind and your heart and your life toward what the Holy Spirit wants to glorify. Now, right here, the way is going to divide this week between us. If you walk out of here, having heard this lesson from 2 Corinthians 3.18, that when you look to Jesus... You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Romans 12 says. You are being transformed from one degree of glory. If you walk out having heard that lesson and say, I'd really like the Holy Spirit to work on me to take away some of these bad desires that I have and to conform me more to Jesus. And then you dribble away your time cruising the web. Or you trifle for hour upon hour in front of the television. Or you just throw your life away in empty pursuits instead of focusing on Jesus. Do not blame God for your abiding bondage. The Lord has shown you this morning where is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But verse 18 tells us the way that the Holy Spirit comes and moves. He comes and moves when we behold the glory of the Lord. You must set your face to behold the glory of the Lord. If I want to be like Dan Fuller, I take courses from Dan Fuller. If I want to be like Jesus, I take courses from Jesus. I get on his path and I follow him. I get in his book. I get with his people. I look to Jesus. I try to scan him. If I'm outside taking a walk around the lake, I say, show me Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? I see you. The heavens are telling the glory of the Lord. What a God you must be to have such light flowing from you and such magnificent variety in all these colors and such tender breath to be able to make a hard tree and a soft leaf. You are a great God. If you, if you take walks like that, you will come home a different person. But if you go looking at legs or bathing suits, you will come home a worse person and it will not be that God has not shown you how to be like Jesus. What I'm talking about here as we close is revival. This is why we're coming together tonight. There is a liberating power to be had. Now, I don't know, I don't know how you feel about your own life right now or how you feel about the measure of our church, whether you feel there's sufficient power in our church. I want to tell you tonight, those of you who come back, I want to tell you some of the reasons why I believe we need revival. Why we need to see Christ more clearly 
Love him more dearly, follow him more nearly day by day. There are reasons why we need revival desperately. We need it desperately. And uh, we are going to gather and we're going to pray that God would awaken the heart to see Jesus and would awaken our love to show Jesus. That's what we're doing tonight at 7, not 6. Mark that. We're putting it later to give a little more space in the afternoon at 7. So my prayer is that in 12 weeks, when we come to the end of this special, some special summer focus, is that we might not hear the prophet say, the harvest is past, the summer is over, and we are not saved. Jeremiah 8.20 the harvest is past, the summer is over, and we are not saved. That was a very sad word in Jeremiah's mouth. I don't want to say it. There are things we need saving from. There are attitudes we need saving from. There are habits we need saving from. There are irreconcilable tensions we need saving from. There is weakness of witness that we need saving from. We need the power of God in much greater measure than we presently know it. And not just us, but all over the city. And so I invite you to worship, to hear testimony, to hear the word, and to pray. Now here's the way we're going to close. Uh, the worship team is going to come. Why don't you just come on up right now. They're going to come. I'm going to pray. And uh, I know that most of you got things going, you got a plan for, we've got a reception, we've got a plan for, but they're just going to keep on playing for another 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to be at the front, the worship, I mean the prayer teams are going to be at the front, and if you want to pray about anything at all, this is a great worship backdrop, or you can just stay in your pew and sing for a little while if you've got the time. So just as the Lord moves to touch you with what you've heard or anything in the first part of the service, we'll be here and we'd love to pray with you. And if it's a little too loud here at the front to hear while we're praying, we'll just go off someplace where we, where we can hear. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, my mind goes back to that parking lot. God, what would have to happen in this city for there to be such a power among your people that those young, tough guys could see Jesus and be transformed into his image from glory to glory. What would have to happen? Lord, I personally am not content with the Twin Cities the way they are. I'm not content with my life or Bethlehem the way we are. I want more of you, more power. I want when I witness to my neighbor, like I tried to do this week, I don't want an excuse to intervene. I want more power. I want you to work in them so that they will listen and have a hunger. I want you to fall upon this city. So as we close in worship and go our separate ways, go with us with quickening Awakening power. We want to see you and we want to show you. 
in the name of our glorious, beautiful, all-sufficient Jesus. Amen.